You're listening to the Empowered Parent Podcast with Ryan and Kayla North, hosted by Chris Turner, a One Big Happy Home production. This podcast equips parents to empower their children and build healthy relationships throughout the home in order to see lasting change and thrive as a family. It's for families of all kinds, especially those who are parenting kids through adoption, foster care, kinship care, or in the process. The Empowered Parent Podcast is a developmentally informed, trauma-sensitive, connected parenting resource. To learn more, visit OneBigHappyHome.com. Greetings, listeners, and welcome to another episode of the Empowered Parent Podcast. Joining me once again are Ryan and Kayla North. Hi, guys. Hey, Chris. Christopher. So I wanted to continue our uh, earlier discussion on sibling conflict. We kind of gave an overview. We kind of talked about our personal experiences and uh, started to get um, towards more practical aspects of how, as parents, we could help our kids resolve those conflicts. And so we've got three things we kind of wanted to, to focus on today that seem to, you know, in our past experience, either as parents ourselves or helping other parents, it seemed to work. Uh, not a miracle cure by, by any means, right. but uh, things that make headway yeah. in resolving that conflict. Um, so the first one uh, is practicing compromise, because you kind of touched on this earlier, Kayla, uh, in the earlier episode. You know, we, we work a lot with our kids uh, compromising with us, but like you said, doesn't necessarily translate to uh, compromising with their siblings. Yeah, because they don't, I think kids are not good at um, taking a skill that they learn in one area and applying it to another area. You have to mm-hmm. really lead them in that mm-hmm. direction, right? Like I think about with school, like if I my kids learn how to, um, for instance, they do this writing program, right? And this writing program teaches them to add in what they call dress ups, mm-hmm. right? And so, they write their paper, but then they have to go back and they have to add in like an L-Y adverb in each paragraph. Mm. And they have to add in certain um, what they call sentence openers where they start with different words so that their sentences aren't just Johnny did, Johnny did, Johnny did, or yeah. whatever, you know. Yeah. It makes them more interesting, right? And and when they're writing those papers for that class, they sound really good. Mm-hmm. And then they have to write a paper for another class, and it's Johnny did, Johnny did, Johnny did. <laughs> Johnny did. And I'm like, what on earth? We've been working on this for so And they're like, I don't have to do that for this class. Uh. <laughs> and it doesn't transfer until I say, hey, whenever you're writing, the reason we learn this is so that it makes it more interesting, right? And so we've had lots of conversations where it's like, well, can you ask for a compromise? Can you ask your sister for a compromise? Mm. And they're like, okay. Like, it never occurred to them. Right. They, uh, they never ask, dawned on them before. Oh, yes. I can do that? And, and they ask me for compromises, like, for everything on the planet. <laughs> like, we're, I'm, you know, it's time to come inside because it's dark outside. Can I have a compromise? Can I stay for five more minutes? And I'm like, I can't even see you guys outside. It's, well, it's so still dark. Be dark in five minutes. Right. But they will ask me for a compromise all day long. And then the thought of asking their sister for a compromise or even their neighborhood friends, yeah. you know, it doesn't dawn on them because they don't transfer those skills over until we practice it and we talk about it and we say, hey, it's okay to ask for a compromise. Yeah. And we might have to do exactly what we've done as we've asked, as we've taught our kids about compromising with us. Mm-hmm. 
And they eventually, they get it. They're like, oh, yeah, I got this. You know, I can, I can ask for a compromise about all these things. And so what I've found is that I have to, I have to really say to them, like, you know, they'll come to me, she won't play the game I want to play, and da, 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 da. And I'm like, well, have you asked for a compromise? No, I don't know what to ask for. She's just not going to say yes to anything I say. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, well, what does she want to play? Well, she wants to play this game. Do you like that game? Yes. Well, can you ask her, hey, can we compromise? Can we play your game for five minutes, and then we'll play my game for five minutes? Okay, but she's probably not going to say yes. And I'm like, all right, well, Ken, let's just give it a try. Mm-hmm. Well, so, so there's a lot there, um, because and 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 so, like, I don't want us to move on before we unpack all of that a little bit, because because I think you said, you know, like they don't realize that the skill can transfer from the writing mm-hmm. class to writing a paper for like you know biology or whatever. Right. Um. That's interesting, right? Because because it's, I think it's some combination of they don't realize, and they and and they've decided that that's only like like they've compartmentalized the skill, right? right? Yeah, that's you a good you, way to say you it. know what I'm saying? Like they've compartmentalized the skill, and so when you were talking about that, I thought about like like coaching kids in a sport, um, and so you know I coached soccer for a long, long time, and 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 one of the pushbacks because because every time you tell uh, you tell a you tell a child to develop a new skill, they kind of fold their arms and say they don't want to. Every time you tell an adult that they need to develop this, uh, a new skill, they kind of do the same thing. Yeah. Right. When you talk to them about how the value of practicing outside of the moments, and they'll say, "Yeah, but that's not real." And and I say, "Look, I coach soccer for a long time, varsity level in high school. I realize that's not like a super high level, but it's also not like you know eight year old rec league. And every single practice we had had orange cones on the field." And we did these drills around the orange cones. And every single game we played, especially the ones we won, not a single orange cone on the field, right? Like you can't transfer a skill. Somebody just has to connect the dots for you. Yeah, it's okay. I think so, that's the key. Right, so, right? You, so we're developing this skill here, yeah. but, but this is how you have to use it in, in, in a different environment. Because we even, even when we practice, like we, don't ever, we never ever practice on more than half a field. Like, like, like I'm a big believer in like the small field training because if you can do it in a condensed environment when you have a little bit more freedom, <clears throat> excuse me, you tend to do it better. And so, and so that's like what you said though. You told you, 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 whoever the example was, and I think I know who the example was, you said to this child, who won't share his name, um, <laughs> that, uh, am I right? I, I wasn't thinking of a specific kid. I've had multiple children actually. I got you, right? But when you told him you can use these writing skills or him or her, these writing skills, this other class, it's like it never occurred to him. And so and so that's part of I think the parental responsibilities that we connect the dots with these things. And so not only when we say, um, you know, teach you how to ask a compromise because what we do because because kids by nature tend to be very literal. Mm-hmm. Right, which is odd because they're very abstract for the first few years of their life and then there's almost this enormous pendulum swing right but when they're they're very literal they get the oh no you told me that i need to write like this for this specific class and until you tell them no you can write like that for every time you write right (laughs) now the reason that i thought it was our 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 youngest son is because he's writing a paper (laughs) and chris you're gonna love this the other night i walk into the room and he says does, does the word fly count as an L-Y adverb? <laughs> no, it's just a verb. And I'm, like, <laughs> and I'm like, you know, 
Like on one hand, you kind of like want to do stuff trying to find shortcuts. <laughs> but on the other hand, you kind of go admire a dude who's trying to find a shortcut. Like this. <laughs> is F L Y and L Y? Is that adding L Y to a to a word? No, it's adding L Y to a letter to make the word. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so you know, I think that's part of the, of the coaching parents just do right. A lot of the word when it comes to coaching because you think yeah. about simply a parent has somebody who coaches them to be a better parent. But I think we have to think in terms of. The parents are coaching their children, mm-hmm. yeah. um, which which sometimes I don't think we do. Yeah. Don't, we don't always do it. Yeah, but I think compromise is such a it's such a good skill for kids to learn in all relationships. We start them with us and compromising with us because we're that safe person who's almost always like like in this connected parenting world. We try to say yes to compromises as often as possible. Mm. Their siblings, they're not going to always say yes. <laughs> their neighbors, they're not always going to say yes. Yep. Even their teachers at school, they're not always going to say yeah. yes. So we're like the safe compromise because they've picked up on the fact that we almost always say yes. Yeah. And so it's harder to venture out. But once we connect those dots, then we can keep pointing them back. Let's ask for a compromise. What do you think you could ask for? But I'm still part of the equation a lot of times. Mm. Like I'm not... I'm not just going, just go, go ask for a compromise. Come back later. You know, like, I'm like, well, what could you ask for? What, what kind of compromise could we ask for? And we're, I'm, it's like, I'm brainstorming with them. Like, how could you ask this question? Yeah. Because I know that their siblings not necessarily just going to say yes. But again, I'm doing this with all the siblings. So hopefully over time, they're going to learn, like, if I say yes to my sibling, when they ask for a compromise, then maybe they'll say yes to me when I ask, you know? Yeah, that's, a, that's a great skill for, for, ch- for children to develop, that, that those kinds of co- that compromises tend to lead to reciprocity. Yeah. Right? And so I prefer the word reciprocity to transactional because, because I think that reciprocity is a great relationship word, but transactional just means you do something for me in exchange for that I give you something. Yeah. Right, but but we do go back and forth, right? The, the yeah. seesaw event, you know, and we talk, talked in the previous episode about the leadership conference. Um, and went to one on 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 you know basically how to be how to be how to be effective at ministry while still being good in your marriage. Mm-hmm. They used better words than that, but that's kind of my <laughs> my summary of that. But um, and and one of the points the speakers made, and so they they um. They're they're they've been married for almost twenty years, and they both have PhDs. And they we're talking like the complexities of, of of like of getting those degrees, and then then the demands and their time that came from it. Like he's a seminary professor. Um, I forget I forget what she does. She um, anyhow, maybe she didn't tell us what she does. I just know that she has a PhD. Hmm. Um, but anyhow, um, they talked about how how you have to think about this 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 idea of uh, that sometimes your marriage. Is 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 you're sitting on the seesaw, right? Or 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 is that what we call it? What do we call them? Teeter totters. Yeah, I think either yeah. one. Okay, other one. So I grew up calling them seesaws, and I just went like, "Well, people know what I'm talking about." <laughs> um, and so and so and that means that 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 for us to be able to enjoy the seesaw to its fullest extent, we have to realize that does require us to be back and forth. That requires us to be the low side some of the time, and half of the time, and half of the time the high side, right? And that's kind of what 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 not just teaching your children to to ask for compromises with you is like, but it's like teaching them to do because now you've taught two kids how to have compromise ask for compromise with you, and now you're teaching the two kids to have compromise with each other, which is now when you're in the seesaw, 
kind of effect because they then will learn in that that in order to have an effective relationship, sometimes you get to be the high side of the seesaw and sometimes you have to be the low side of the seesaw because if you insist on being the high side of the seesaw all of the time, nobody has any fun and you end up being stuck in the air. <laughs> and by the way, if, if the person at the low side decides that they're not having fun and they just get off, you're going to thump to the ground and likely get hurt. Yeah. Like that's the one thing when I was a kid, I remember like I hated using the seesaw because my brother would always jump off, mm -hmm. you know, and I'm like, oh, I just I hate that so much. But I think that's a good analogy is, is, that, is that you have to learn that relationships are about being on the seesaw and that's where everybody gets to get what they want out of it, which is sometimes you're the high side, sometimes everybody wants to be the high side, but you realize when you just sit stuck up there that that's not actually what you want. And I think mm -hmm. that learning to compromise with each other is a valuable way to, to, to learn that kind of reciprocity in relationships. That's a good analogy. Thank you, dear. You're welcome. Um, just so everybody knows, um, you admitted something on the previous episode's Green Room for Patrons, and there's a little applause button here, <laughs> and you said, I, I'm not, I don't always have a good attitude. I think it's what you said. And I'm like, oh, I wanted to press the applause <laughs> button. I'm like, the crowd agrees. <laughs> Oh, by the way, and that is a shameless plug for being a patron of this thing. You get, you get, you get to your Kayla admit that she doesn't always have a good attitude. <laughs> oh my gracious! I'll never admit it in a green room episode. Now, oh, I'll never admit anything ever. What when we're recording? That's not true. That's true, but I don't have access to like I don't know how to it's edit the videos true. to clip out just those little parts that I want to hear again. You can do what everybody else did. Go to YouTube and watch a video on how to edit video. That's right. <laughs> true. That's how that's, I learned. That's true. Oh, my goodness. Learned? That's how I learned. 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 You've been learned. in Texas too long. Is that the way to Learned. Learned. I learned it. Hey, y'all. I learned how to edit videos <laughs> by watching YouTube videos. It does sound kind of Texan. I it learned does. it. I learned it. I learned it. I'm pretty sure that's how I said it as a kid. I well, learned also, it. if you are from Texas and are listening to this, they baited me into saying that. <laughs> we did not. You're right. We did not. Kayla did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, Kayla, goodness. one of the things you talked about uh, on the prior episode, we talked about this. Um, plays exactly into our second tool. Um, kind of, our, you know, our, I think we discussed all of our parents kind of came from that the, the same school, the same mentality, because that's probably what, you know, that they grew up with. Um, yeah. Go work it out with your sibling, right? Yep. We, we cannot expect the sibling conflict to resolve itself naturally because guess what? You may think it gets resolved, someone's unhappy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, grudges are being formed. Grudges are being yeah. formed, right. <laughs> exactly. So what can we do uh, to help our kids um, to get out of that, that trap of, you know, go work it out? Yeah, I think we just have to be, when you have lots, like, when you have lots of conflict between siblings, you have to stay really close by so that you can catch the, the conflict low and help them work through whatever it is. So you can't say, well, these two fight like cats and dogs and then leave them in the other room to fight like cats and dogs. <laughs> right. You know, like if they fight like cats and dogs, then they need to be in the same room as you are so that you can catch it before it gets to the all, you know, all out brawl. Um, I think this the, is really important for like our foster parents out there who may have kids coming in and out of their house. Right. And because you know, those interactions are going to look wildly different depending upon that child coming in and out. Absolutely. Well, and we've had, you know, 
what seems like very, very minor things that have turned into huge interactions. You know, we had a foster parent share with me one time that, you know, she had one kid who was a, a young teen, so I want to say maybe 12 or 13, mm. that was running into traffic. And I was like, what, did, did we get to the bottom of what was going on here? Like, she was freaking out, had to call the police, like, because yeah. she couldn't keep this kid safe. And she said, yeah, it, it started with a bottle of shampoo. And there were two teenagers in the home, and one of the teenagers had a, a bottle of shampoo that was hers, and the other one used it, and she got really mad, and that was all it took. And all wow. of a sudden, it, it just takes sibling conflict to a whole nother level yeah. when you've got kids, they, both kids in foster care, unrelated in the same home, mm. you know? Knowing that they're not necessarily going to be there forever, that's just for a time, they're very, very little things can set them off. And so you have to know who you're dealing with, know who's in front of you, know you know, if they get triggered really easily by things like that, help them have the skills to, to set the boundaries and say, hey, you really want that shampoo to just be for you, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. We're going to keep it in a special place in your room and not in the shower. You're going to just, here's your shower kit, and you're going to take it with you to the shower, and then you're going to take it back to your room because we want to not have it be a temptation for somebody else to use. Yeah. But you have to know very specifically who you're dealing with, and you have to not just say, you girls just need to learn how to share that shampoo because clearly that shampoo caused some serious, Mm. and I don't know what was behind it. Like, I don't know the backstory enough to know, you know, was this child someone who maybe never had anything of her own and finally had a bottle of shampoo that was hers that somebody told her this is for you? And somebody else used it and it just set her off. Or maybe she just had a really bad day that day and that was just the last straw. You know, I don't know the backstory of that enough to know, but I know that it doesn't matter how old the kids are. If you know they're volatile together, you have to be really close. You have to help them set good boundaries if they're, especially if they're older. Mm -hmm. If they're younger, you have to be there to set the boundaries for them. You're going to play over here. (laughs) You're going to play over here. Or maybe we're going to rotate who plays with the toys because we know they don't yet have the skills to be able to share with each other, right? Maybe not not even the language. And not even the language, yeah. And I'm not a big proponent of you have to share your toys. Like, especially kids in foster care who maybe have never had anything of their own. Mm -hmm. But we used to tell our kids, like, when they were little, they're much better about this now, but we used to tell them, if it's special to you, you need to keep it in a special place. I'm not going to make you share it with anybody else, but it needs to be kept in a special place because if it's special to you, we're going to keep it. And, you know, so we're going to have a safe place in your closet or somewhere where nobody else is going to get it. You get it out and play with it when you want it. And then you put it away when you're done. But if you throw it in the middle of the playroom floor, then everybody assumes that it is not special to you, and that is where it, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. I hadn't really thought very much about, about us doing that. Um, but we think of, of our oldest, not our oldest daughter, our second oldest daughter. Yes, our second oldest daughter. <laughs> um, we got a lot of kids. <laughs> I have to think it through. <laughs> and I'm getting older. Like, my mind's not getting sharper, folks. <laughs> um, and so... Um, and so our second oldest daughter, when she was a little, a little girl, she got this this bear. Mm-hmm. And this bear has been through thick and thin with her. This bear has, has navigated 
navigated her how she how she felt about about siblings when we were licensed foster parents coming in and out of the home, mm-hmm. particularly you know when when they were when we had children in the home that were similar close in age to her that she really connected with. Um, this this bear has gone through thick and thin with our family. This bear is like has human status in our family, right? I mean, if this thing ever goes missing, I mean, I'm, I'm about at the point where I'm going to lock this thing in the safe in our bedroom, right? And, and um, but you know what's funny about that? Because she has communicated that this bear is special to her. Like, like wherever she goes, she has always taken this bear with her. Um, as she's gotten older, she's like, I realize nobody else keeps their bears with them. And she's like, Dad, can my, my bear sit in your backpack? So so she's still with us, right? And I'm like, of course. The thing about that, though, is she has really communicated that that bear is special to her. Not a single one of her siblings touch it. Oh, yeah, they know. Like, they respect that now. Yeah, they yeah. respect that that which, is Which is that they can learn that and to your point, right? Yeah. If we, if we want to, to do that, because, again... That's a great way of saying, look, we can establish boundaries and and and, and maybe we should just have to do like a whole episode on boundaries sometime mm-hmm. because because what people tend to think is like the sign of a great relationship is that we're so close there's no barriers between us. That doesn't make a lot of sense if you think about that. Right? Boundaries allow people to feel safe. Because bound because if you will respect their boundary, they will go, I can trust this person. They they honor my wishes, and so that, I mean, there's just so much that we can learn. That, that there's so many valuable life skills that we can teach the children by just teaching them to manage conflict well, right? Like the compromise thing. We talked about the seesaw thing in like in, in relationships, but also like like so if, like if fighting over toys is an issue because this person keeps playing with something that's special to you. Well, let's make sure everybody understands that's special, but not just because we said it was special, but by the way we acted. Like it was special, like to your point. Like, don't tell me the bear is special if you throw if if we find it in the middle of the playroom floor. Yeah. Like, you can't be upset that the dog chewed an arm off the bear <laughs> if the dog's not allowed upstairs, and the dog chewed an arm off your bear, right? I mean, that's that's incongruent, and so, and so we want to want to make sure that, that that those things are are being communicated in the home, because. Right. I mean, and the other thing then is we're teaching valuable communication skills. We're not communicating in the home. So we've already checked by you just saying, well, what about compromises? Like we've checked like three major major relationship components. You're like learning that, that, that there is a reciprocity in relationships that work, learning that we need to communicate our boundaries and respect other people's boundaries and communicating well. Like, I mean, think about all the valuable skills that we're teaching just by saying, look, we need to handle conflict better, plus just the skill of hand, being able to handle conflict. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, I'd, I'd mentioned this, the, uh, the, um, I mentioned the leadership conference we were at. Well, I went to a session yesterday that was 11 habits of healthy teams. And one of the 11 habits of healthy teams is learning to have difficult conversations and learning how to ha- handle conflict in, within the team. Well, what if we thought, because... What if we thought about our families as our team, mm-hmm. and 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 just like your team at work, you got leaders on that team, you got people who get to make decisions about that team. But if we can teach each other with some sort of mutual respect, but if we have to have a difficult conversation, we can do that. And the person who's on the receiving end of the difficult conversation goes, has come to believe over time because of the way you've conducted yourself that this is done for my good, not for my for my harm. Well, like. Like, doesn't that sound like like things will be running smoothly? 
Yeah. And all of those things we can teach the children. But like we said in the previous episode, and I think, Kayla, you said the problem is, is we just say, go ahead, you just, just leave me alone. I don't want to deal with it. Sort it out for yourself. Yeah. We have to be involved. And yeah. I think we have to we have to view our role in sibling conflict as almost like mediator and coach, not uh, iron iron fist come in and, and stop the conflict, right? If we come in to stop the conflict, they never learn to work it out. Mm-hmm. But if we come in to coach them through it and mentor them through it, then we're available to them. They know that they can come and say, hey, I was trying to have a compromise and she's not really listening and I don't know what to do next or he's not really, you know, he he said he was going to do this, but he's not doing it. And they come to you not looking for you to put an end to it, but for you to help them through it. I think that's ultimately, it's the whole, you know, uh, what does it give a man a fish and he'll eat for a day, you teach, teach a man, man to fish. fish and he'll fish, you know, he'll eat for a lifetime or whatever. It's that same thing with the conflict with the kids. If we can teach them how to walk through it instead of just saying, work it out, then they're going to be at a better place. Ultimately, it just takes a lot more time. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Hey everyone, this is Dallas. And I wanted to share with you how you can become a supporter of the podcast. Becoming a supporter is a financial way to help the podcast, but also get some great extras to go along with it. We have tiers starting at $5, but you can pledge for as little as a dollar a month as a way to say thank you. Anything is greatly appreciated. To learn more, visit podcast.onebighappyhome.com and click on the supporter link. All right, back to the podcast. And, you know, what you just said there, Kayla, dovetails really nicely into our last practical step. And, well, how do we help them in those situations? How do we teach? How do we pass along this information? Well, one area that, uh, and granted, this will probably work better with younger children, but, you know, you never know with with older kids how they're going to respond. But yeah. one way that has, you know, worked more often than not is using puppets or stuffed animals because most little kids are going to have stuffed animals laying around the house. Like, you know, Ryan, you just talked about, you know, the bear. Um yeah. My children have stuffed animals still sitting in their yeah. rooms. They don't play with them, but they're still there in their presence. Oh, my gosh. They're like, it's like they multiply overnight. Right. Where there's yeah. like 9,000 so, of so them So my in view my on house. stuffed animals, though, is the fact that the kids, they, they move to an age where they don't want to play with the stuffed animals anymore, but they still get to live in their bedroom. Mm. To me, I like that mm-hmm. because because I look and the kid recognizes, well, this stuffed animal at some point in my story was a significant player mm. and I recognize that and I don't want to part with them. And so when I'm, the kids don't want to get rid of any stuffed animals, I, that kind of makes me a little happy yeah. because because they're going like, because those stuffed animals, at some point in your childhood, your stuffed animals were very real to you. Oh, yes. They're very real to you. And so now you're not going to abandon your friend because you don't want to play with them anymore. Like that's like loyalty that I like in the kids. And I know you laughed at that, but I think about that all the time when, when, they, when they're, they're like, they're gonna like you know, they'll go through the closet and get clothing that doesn't fit them anymore, clothing they don't like anymore. And we'll, don't touch we'll, the stuff we'll, animals. But you don't. Yeah. You, those, those things are off limits. And I'm like, how do you sleep? There's like, like we counted uh, our youngest one night. She had like 42 know. of the things. I, I mean, know. it was ridiculous. It like takes up like a And we're kind of like, like small, like, like this little tie, like the little thing. Like we counted everything was on the, on, on the bed. Yep. 
like 42 of the darn things. Well, you know, our 19-year-old college student, uh, when he was home uh, for Christmas break, um, came to me. I don't remember how we got started on the subject. But he brings he brought up the subject of his wolf, stuffed wolf, Jackson, mm. that we got when he was two and a half years old, I want to say. We got it in, you know, in Wyoming um, when we were staying in Jackson. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, between, uh, oh gosh, I remember the name of the park right there, but the, the park uh, just outside Yellowstone, uh, just outside Jackson, rather, and uh, Yellowstone, the adjacent, you know, uh, national park there, big wolf territory. You know, mm. they, they reintroduced wolves there a few decades uh, ago, and that they flourished. As a matter of fact, <laughs> we were hiking around uh, Ginny Lake there just outside Jackson, and there was a helicopter hovering uh, overhead up the mountain from where we were hiking. Hovering? Yes, hovering. It's not hovering? Hover, 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 whatever. Yeah, my bad. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> back to the point. We get back, you know, from our hike, and uh, we happen to, you know, cross a ranger, park ranger, as we were heading back to the car, and we said, hey, what was the helicopter uh, for? So, you know, somebody hurt or something? He goes, no, uh, they were tracking uh, one of the wolf packs. They had uh, cornered a, uh, an elk, and they were oh, taking, wow. taking down an elk. I was like, cool! Wow. Uh, but so this, this stuffed wolf, as a result, you know, plays a, played a really huge deal. Yeah, you know, in his life, Jackson went ev- like just like the bear. Jackson yep. went yep. everywhere to the point that I was getting worried that it was going to get lost. Yeah, we're there. Lost, damaged, right? Yes. I called the gift shop in Yellowstone National Park because I couldn't find it anywhere else. Looking up the tag online mm-hmm. and bought three more. Oh, that's funny. See, we tried to buy an extra one. It did not look the same. Well, it these... was very. Well, they're also not as loved on. Yeah, they're right. not as like, loved on. Yeah, there's like, oh, there was a definite. Why does this? We why swapped does my them out today? at one point. We're like, sweetie, we we we've got to wash them. We've got to wash them. <laughs> Sneaky. We, we got we got this one. Well, like we were up front with it. We didn't try to to. to oh, you just told them we've got a second one here. Just out, I found out. Told I said. Turns out Jackson has a twin. I haven't. I I got you another Jackson. Oh, I've been saving funny. it because we have five of them. You can call them the Jackson Five. <laughs> Ryan said that just as I took a drink of water, and I almost just spewed it everywhere. Oh Lord, almost, almost hysterical. To his credit, <laughs> to his credit, he he went along, but you knew he wasn't happy. Yes, he's like he <laughs> wanted the original Jackson. This Jackson was not. This Jackson was still great. It, it had everything like, about now me. playing the part of Jackson, this wolf. <laughs> it, was, it was a situation of for, for for a young child having that kind of attachment to a stuffed animal. Yeah. He took it very in stride very well. Yeah, but as soon as as a OG Jackson was <laughs> the OG was, was ready to go back into service, <laughs> that was that right. I love it. I still have I coughing at the table. All, all four Jack, and and this is what this this stuffed animal meant to him is that when one of his younger brothers, I don't remember the situation or, or what whatever, but he gave the second Jackson to the younger brother. No, oh. who still has the second Jackson, and I still have the extra, the other <laughs> two Jacksons in a box in my closet for grandchildren one day, probably. <laughs> 
And so he still has Jackson. He just sits in his room. It might yeah. be in his closet. It's a meaningful part of his childhood. It's a meaningful yeah. part of his life, yeah. right. And, sure. he, and he brought it up in conversation. I remember, like, again, I remember how, what the conversation was about or whatever, but he, he brought it up. Mm-hmm. And you can just tell it's still a significant part That's of right. his life. And so when we have uh, objects like that that mean so much to our kids, it's really easy then to use those uh, stuffed animals to help teach them skills like we made up uh, i made up a jackson story I, you know ryan i've actually spoken with your daughter about turning this into a children's book you know yeah, yeah. right <laughs> she'll illustrate it and so that was a bedtime that became a bedtime story yeah. about jackson but there was a life lesson involved in it too yeah about you know trusting your parents and and that that sort of thing it was about getting lost in the woods uh spoiler alert okay so, so are you gonna do this at some point, I'm sure we will. Yeah, no, you should. And here's the other thing you, sh- you can do. You can create a whole new genre of children's books. And I don't mean like books like the teens and tweens read. I mean like books that like parents still read to their kids. You could do like a science fiction mm. book where there's like there's multiple Jacksons. And <laughs> you can do like the multiverse of Jacksons and all that the kind Jackson of stuff. Jackson multiverse. Yes. Where he's oh, that my out. gracious. Okay. We'll keep that in mind. What a tangent! I mean, I'm gonna have to get twenty five. I'm gonna have to get twenty five cents from every book you sell if if you if you buy it on that idea. Oh my gosh! Well, it's funny because you said like this might work with younger kids better than older yeah. kids. What's funny is actually um, our friend Cindy. Uh, she was talking about when her you know she's she's got two uh, daughters that are very close in age, and they were teenagers when they became sisters. And they did not like each other, like, at all. Now, it's funny, if you meet them now, they're, like, inseparable. Like, they're two peas in a pod, and they're, they go everywhere, do everything together. And, and um, But she said they did not like each other, and they did not want to be around each other. They were very opposite personalities. And she said it was actually using stuffed animals that helped them work through some of their issues because – what happens is like one gets their feelings hurt and the other one doesn't understand because, you know, it's like you get, you get one kid who is more, maybe more sensitive than others. Um, and then you get one who's maybe just doesn't think about what they're saying, you know, and so then feelings get hurt. Right. But they don't quite understand each other. And so, you know, she said it was like this crazy, like, she was like, okay, I've, because she, we, we had, you know, she'd been in a class that we taught. And so she's like, I remember hearing you guys talk about using puppets. And I thought, whatever, I'm going to try, I could try anything, you know? And so she said, we just pulled out stuffed animals and we had them. Well, what do you think, you know, Mr. Bear would think about that? And they started talking to the stuffed animals and then they started talking with the stuffed animals. And then it was like, because what happens is when it's, when it's not them, Mm -hmm. It's there's no shame attached to it. Mm, there's no, the, it's just the stuffed animal. Well, there's the situation that happened with the stuffed animal, and they can work it out. You know, it's kind of like in play therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, kids play is a is kids. It's their language, right? And so in play therapy, a lot of times, what they can't say with their words, they'll act out with the toys, yeah. or they'll draw on paper. Mm-hmm. You know, they'll draw the picture. Like we've all seen those where the, the kids ask to draw like their family and you can tell from the way they draw the family what's going on yeah. inside the family, right? Like they draw everybody over here and then there's one family member that's like out on the side or whatever. Yeah. 
And so you can very clearly, even though they couldn't have told you that it feels like, you know, this brother is never around, all of a sudden you look at the picture and you're like, oh my gosh, something's not right with this brother because right. I can see it in the picture. The same is true when we when we act out situations with the stuffed animal or with the puppets. We can we can kind of be outside of the story and we can get a chance to say for this bear or this alligator or whatever we have, mm -hmm. we can say the things that we couldn't maybe say if we were talking about ourselves, you know? Mm -hmm. It's kind of like when people go on, like, you know, social media and they're like, asking for a friend, and everybody knows they're not asking for a friend, they're right. asking for themselves. Right. But it's a lot easier if you say, I'm asking for a friend, right? Because it doesn't feel so personal yep. in that sense. And so... I think we've used that a lot. And, and yeah, we definitely used it a lot more when they were younger. But even younger teens, I think, can be really receptive to that. Mm. Um, and also depending on their emotional age, too, right? I mean, I think a lot of times we're like, well, they're 16. They wouldn't respond to that. They'd think that was really babyish. And you're like, maybe. But if they're emotionally more like a 7 or 8-year-old, <laughs> right. 7 or 8-year-olds right respond really well. <laughs> yeah. So I think just using something... And it doesn't have to be a stuffed animal. It can be, you know, like we have kids that like those little like toy dinosaur, like mm -hmm. the little, you know, f dinosaur figures or they like Barbie dolls or they like, you know, it can be anything that's kind of outside of themselves, whatever right. they're into. Yeah. That can be what you can use as kind of this jumping off point. And you don't have to be like, hey, we're going to come over here and talk about your feelings using these stuffed animals. Or Optimus Prime and Megatron, you know. <laughs> Whatever works. Yeah, we just kind of come over. We might just come over and grab a stuffed animal and go, man, I had a really hard day. How was your day, you know? Or and identical then, wolves. Identical wolves. That's right. But they, a lot of times if we just start playing, they'll play with us. And it, it helps, you know, kind of bring down the temperature of everything. Yep. Um, and then another thing we've done, too, is just you don't even have to have the puppet or whatever. You can just do role play. Mm. But, you know, we've always done redos with our kids. You know, that's been a, a huge tool that we've used with our kids is when and whenever they've had, you know, done something and we're like, oh, let's try that again. Let's do it this way. The problem with doing redos when you're doing it with siblings is sometimes, again, you've got that shame factor. Mm -hmm. And so we had one who would get very embarrassed and be like, no, I can't do it. I'm too embarrassed. I can't believe I acted that way. You know, because they, yeah. they knew that the way they had treated the sibling wasn't okay. And we could never get a redo in that situation. And so we just inserted ourselves and said, I'm going to pretend to be your brother. Yeah. And now I want you to do it the way you wanted to do it, the way we think you should have done it. And we would redo it, but we would just use ourself in that redo. Yeah. You know, we could, the word redo, I, I, because I guess it was such a huge player in our house when our kids were younger. I think about our friend Cindy Lee's book, The Redo Roo. And thinking about The Redo Roo and the illustrations, mm -hmm. all of Cindy's books illustrations they look like stuffed animals mm -hmm. and I don't know if that was by design or, or or what have you but I think that also plays a good role in all the same lines right like mm -hmm. if you don't have the stuffed animals to act out these scenarios hey there's a handy dandy book with 
creatures that look like stuffed animals right. that are, you know, friendly and the kids can relate to and that kind of thing. And oh, yeah. And still help with those lessons that I we're trying to teach them. Kids books are so good for that. Like if you can find, you're not, it's not necessarily going to be the exact same scenario or yeah. whatever. But yeah, kids books can be a great teaching tool. Well, guys, I hope that we've given our listeners some really great practical steps to take. I feel like I've learned a couple things uh, (laughs) just from the course of the conversation. Um, And we've been doing this for a while. So if you have uh, any kind of uh, tip or something that has worked for your family that uh, we didn't talk about and you'd like to share that with us, please shoot us an email over at info at onebighappyhome.com. We'd love to hear uh, your stories. And if you've had some success using these tools, please share those with us as well. Again, thanks for listening. We appreciate you guys. Take care. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Empowered Parent Podcast. If you have any questions or topics you'd like us to discuss on the podcast, email us at info at onebighappyhome.com. Please like and share the podcast with all your friends and family. And you can find us on your favorite social platforms by searching One Big Happy Home. And if you're a supporter of the podcast, don't go anywhere. Stay right here and get ready to listen to our post-episode recap we call The Green Room, where we dive deeper into today's episode. And if you'd like to become a supporter, you can visit podcast.onebighappyhome.com. Thanks for listening.